David Beeson, you're Fellow of St Cross College, Oxford, and Professor in Molecular Neurosciences here at the University of Oxford. Uh, David, uh, when did you come to Oxford, and then when did you come to St Cross College? So I came to Oxford um, quite a while ago, in fact. It was in 1988, the spring of 1988, um, when I came to Oxford to work at the then half-built Institute of Molecular Medicine, which was a project of uh, Sir David Wetherill's, which is now known as the Wetherill Institute of Molecular Medicine. And in fact, I think I can lay the claim to doing the first experiment that was ever done in that building. So I came with Professor John Newsom Davis, who had just been made the Professor of Clinical Neurology in Oxford, and I came from the Royal Free Hospital, where he was previously to be part of his group or his research group at the Institute of Molecular Medicine. And St. Cross College, much more recently. I'm afraid that's much more recently. Yeah. So that was um, probably around about five to six years ago, I think. And I was up at the John Radcliffe site, or have been there for all my 30-odd years here in Oxford. And one of the things about uh, being up in the sort of um, hospital site is that, in fact, it is quite difficult to get down to be part of the university life. So, in fact, eventually, when I was uh, offered the uh, position of a fellow with St. Cross, it was, you know, a great opportunity. And it is something which we perhaps miss when we're up in the medical sciences, up at the hospital sites, to actually interact more with the university and people doing non-medical subjects. And so I was very pleased, in fact, to be able to take up this fellowship. And it has led to one being able to interact with people on a wide spectrum of different uh, specialities who are obviously experts in their field and thus obviously provide good uh, conversation and are very interesting to meet. Fantastic. Can you, um, before I ask you about your research, could you speak a little bit about the early days of the Institute for Molecular Medicine? Those must have been exciting times. Well, <laughs> I'm not sure how exciting. Our first few years, it was just a building site and there was dust sheets everywhere and, and one was trying to get one's rather delicate experiments to work when these uh, uh, hammer drills were going and needles were being shaken all over the spot. Um, so it was uh, an interesting experience. In fact, m most of my first few years there, one was always dealing with building work going on. But um, it allowed us to really sort of get the idea of molecular medicine and the potential for translating what was then really a fairly new subject into actual thinking about clinical practice and the whole idea of gene cloning of uh, DNA and how you can sort of use the knowledge that was just emerging about molecular biology and think of how potentially that might be actually translated into the future of medicine, which is uh, very much in progress now. Very much in progress. So could you describe your research now and, uh, and, and tell us about uh, what its implications are? Right. Well, as I said, I've gone back quite a long time. And actually, even before I came to Oxford, um, my first work on research was essentially at the very early early beginning of gene cloning. So in fact, 
we, I was um, at Imperial College uh, to do my PhD, but was farmed out to a uh, drugs company at the time called GD Cell, who were perhaps the only people who had the, or could afford, and had the very up-to-date facilities on doing gene cloning in its very early days. And the first experiments we did were done in these sort of very stringent conditions where everything was sterilized before you went into the room, everything was fumigated after the room, and what you'd now do just on the bench top open was done under very stringent conditions. Um, so, and in fact, while I was taken on there, I wanted to go and work on cancer and interferons that might cure cancer, or is that what we were told back in the 1980s? But in fact, when I went for my first interview, I was told that the post was already taken. But there was another project on acetylcholine receptors and cloning the genes that encode acetylcholine receptors that would I like to do. Um, I knew nothing about acetylcholine receptors, but I thought, well, I might as well go for it. And from this moment, I've essentially been working on the same thing ever since joining John Newsom's Davis group, coming to Oxford, and then working on this subject. So the acetylcholine receptors are the receptors on the edge of muscles that get the information from the brain to tell the muscles to contract. And they're sighted at a particular site, a junction or synapse called the neuromuscular junction. So my first jobs with John Newsom Davis was to uh, continue cloning the human receptors. From then, what I went on to find was that, uh, having actually isolated the cDNAs for the human receptors, we found, in fact, that there were a number of patients with myasthenia who actually had genetic cause of their uh, disorders. And so the characteristic of myasthenia is fatigable muscle weakness. And these patients um, were, uh, had the disorder of fatigue or muscle weakness, but they had it from birth rather than from developing it later on, on in life, which is what happens for the more common autoimmune form of this disease, which is myasthenia gravis. Anyway, from first identifying these patients, this now has grown into identifying actually that it is a rare disease, but not as, un as uncommon as we originally thought of it. So the work that we did was finding patients who had mutations in these genes. We then got commissioned by the uh, highly specialized services of the NHS to provide a center for the whole of the UK to both diagnose these patients and to provide a clinical service for them. We then uh, went on to find the uh, most appropriate treatment. And in the early 2000s or so, we found, or my, labo my laboratory found, that there was a particular gene called DOC7, which has a, quite a large number of uh, the mutations in it. So it was quite a common cause of these inherited myasthenics syndromes. And what we noticed from these patients was that um, ephedrine or salbutamol, which are treatments for asthma, in fact had a remarkable beneficial effect on these patients. And so we brought the patients in, 
tried them out on these drugs which are beta-2 agonists and were able to show that they actually had a really life-transforming effect on them and that they were able to get out of their wheelchairs and start walking, whereas before they'd been really fairly severely disabled. So we've gone on to apply this, uh, as it were, repurposing of these asthma drugs to a number of these neuromuscular junction disorders and in fact have now a sort of uh, spectrum of treatments for our patients that in most cases is really life transforming. So that's essentially at the present stage we are at, but clearly it is helpful for them but it doesn't cure them. So I suppose the next stages of this whole, as it were, service that we provide, and it is a national service, is to think about actually improving these therapies. And what's going on at the moment very much is the idea that actually gene therapies for muscle diseases are a possibility, and therefore our laboratory is looking closely at the ways in which we could go about applying gene therapy to genetic disorders. Is that gene therapies broadly, or, or, or most specifically in relation to neuromuscular disorders? Um, I, presumably, there's sort of a great relationality between different uh, uh, different areas of therapy that inform each other. Is, is that the case? Um, yes, I think that's absolutely the case. I think in the past, muscle diseases have been always been really a poor relation because, in fact, there haven't been many treatments for them and. Many of them have been either you know, lethal or really the idea is there's nothing you can do for, for the patients. In theory, a bit like cystic fibrosis. Um, and perhaps you know, there have been modest improvements in the treatment of muscle diseases, such as cystic fibrosis as well. But now suddenly, these genetic diseases people and pharma companies can see the actual possibility of really treating these patients and providing a potential, inverted commas, cure for them. Obviously, that's uh, not quite as simple as that, but there is that potential. And so with the muscle diseases, suddenly they've got a whole number of rare diseases that always causes problems. But you can provide the same principle of gene therapy to all these different rare diseases with the potential of treatment. Though obviously for each individual it's still considered, or the pharma companies still think it's um, a worthwhile investment only if they charge a fairly significant sum for treating each patient. Um, but with respect to the muscle diseases, one's really looking at the delivery through adenoviral vectors and that's a sort of delivery platform that can be used for a whole series of different rare diseases using essentially the base basically the same methodology and therefore it becomes a possibility for rare diseases okay so clearly there's a, a lot of work into the future and uh, and a, a great future for what you're doing <clears throat> are there other other things on the horizon for you um, <laughs> not really. I think, you know, the gene therapy, I'm looking for putting that into practice over the next sort of five-year time frame in that we're at the present looking at how we set up clinical trials for these uh, therapies 
And so hopefully within three to four years, the first patients would be going into the clinical trials. And then obviously clinical trials take a few years to um, come to fruition to get the results and obviously then to take it into clinic. And actually by that time, I feel my scientific career will have been gone through its full circle and it will be time for me to hang up my oh, hang up my boots and uh, retire into the distance. David Beeson, thank you so much. Okay, thank you. <laughs>